Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On this week's episode of The Gegen Pod, has Bridgie changed his mind on his preseason title predictions already? A record weekend of scoring in the Premier League and Thomas Sorensen with incredible insight on goalkeepers getting the yips. A huge episode of the Gegen Pod coming up. Yes, hi everyone. We're back for another episode of the Gegen Pod. Wow, so much to talk about. It was an absolute goal-a-thon. We were spoiled in the Premier League over the weekend and long may that continue through the course of the season ahead. David Wiener with you once again, joined this week by Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen in the house this week as we dissect all the big talking points. Thomas, welcome back. Welcome to a new season. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, getting to the end of the lockdown here and uh, you know, just excited about the football. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, the amount of goals, record amount of goals this weekend, over 10 games. Uh, I think we, we couldn't have asked for a better start, uh, a lot of excitement, uh, you know, players to talk about everything else. So that's uh, keeping me alive. Brilliant. And Bridgie, big weekend as well at Optus Sport too. Uh, you're out and about as well. So uh, lots to take in. Absolutely fantastic, Dave. Night shifts. I've never done them before, mate. I did three back to back. It was amazing. Um, Richard Bayliss and myself did it at Leeds fans form on the Friday and then followed into the action Saturday and Sunday and it was just goals galore mate and it's been so enjoyable and the big thing for me and Richard Bayless was Leeds United finally got a win and they are the new entertainers. Absolutely it's going to be thrill a minute for Leeds well thrill a minute for the neutrals and heart attack material for Leeds fans but I think uh, they wouldn't have it any other way if that means they are in the Premier League. Hey we've got you know rip into all the uh, action in a second but just news this morning we recall Wednesday morning here in Australia and um, for those uh, listening in and, and, and haven't had a look at the news this morning we had uh, in the Carabao Cup West Ham went on and beat Hull but they did so this morning without their manager, David Moyes, or two players who were set to start in the game, Issa Diop and Jason Cullen, because they both, all three of them, tested positive to COVID. Uh, asymptomatic, they'll have to uh, isolate for 10 days, so they will not be available for the weekend fixture against Wolves. There's no talk whether that will be cancelled as yet. So far, it is going ahead. But your reaction to that, Thomas, because it comes at the same time as we've also learned that the um, intended plan to get fans gradually reintegrated back to football in England from the start of October is also going to be delayed. Yeah, no, it's really worrying signs. Um, you know, again, we were looking at least towards fans coming back. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Premier League bubble, but... You know, like we've seen here in Australia, this virus penetrates all levels. Uh, you can't really keep it out. And, uh, you know, if we start seeing this sort of interference, you've got to start worrying about where does this season go? You know, England opened up and they've had their summer of love and, and, and openness and freedom. And, and this is coming back to, 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 to hit them now. And, 
you know, uh, financially, where where does that go? Where does that leave, uh, you know, the, the lower league teams? You know, there's suddenly so many questions um, coming up. And, uh, you know, we need the fans, you know, I've, I've, in a different sport. But I've just sitting, been watching the Tour de France and the fans alongside the road. That's what makes sport, you know, and that's what makes football. And, and we were looking forward to fans coming back. And that looks now to be, you know... Um, Whenever you know, somewhere <laughs> at least in, 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 past at the, in the distance now. Mm. Yeah, you, you mentioned that the, the price and and um, the Premier League forecasts, Bridgie, that their clubs will lose seven hundred million pound this season if fans aren't allowed back in. But you think that the Premier League is probably the least of English football's worries, and and we're looking now down further the pyramid at the moment. And um, the Carabao Cup actually brings that right into the spotlight because um, the, Car- the the lower tier clubs, the, even the EFL clubs, they don't test. For coronavirus, except for when their players come back from international duty, some Premier League clubs have been footing the bill um, in this tournament. The Manchester clubs actually haven't, but um, Frank Lampard spoke about it this morning, and he said that um, he's aware that discussions might need to happen for the Premier League clubs to step in and show that they see the bigger picture. They see that there is a pyramid and a and a whole football structure below the Premier League. We started speaking about this as long as six months ago. But as we're still here now, this comes into real sharp focus, doesn't it? It, it certainly does, Dave. And I think it comes off the, you know, every, all the focus was getting the, the leagues finished off, getting the competitions finished last season, and obviously what's the start date going to be for all the other leagues. So now we're at that stage and they're realising that these lower division clubs aren't going to be able to cope. And like you say, if you can't foot the bill, to do the COVID tests in the league and now they're struggling to do it in the Carabao Cup and some of the teams are supporting that. I mean, Leighton Orient game was postponed by Tottenham because they've been, Leighton mm. Orient have been absolutely flooded with cases of COVID and in their in their club. So it's, it's not good. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but the amount of money that is in the Premier League, Dave, they've, they've got to understand that they need to filter some of that money down to the lower divisions um, just to get the, the keep the pathways in place, mm. keep the security nets for players that get released from these academies, and you know, I, I think it was the the good story about that is a team like Brentford who have done this new thing where there's no academy, they've given players a second chance, as they call it. They get players from the lesser academies, sign them up, and give them a second chance to go at football. It's, it's things like that, and I totally agree with with Tommy as well. Without fans, the game's gone. Simple as that. There is, you know, there's only so many times you can go out and perform in front of an empty house um, and still keep that desire and that hunger to, to want to be the player. The, only, the thing that kept me going and wanted to be a professional footballer was because I was a fan. I used to go to the stadiums. I used to support my heroes. And I wanted to emulate that and, and entertain people. Reserve games, I didn't get the buzz out of the reserve games when I was playing in front of one man and his dog. It was going over that white line in front of full houses and the novelty will wear off soon. So that's a big issue that we've got to sort out in, in, in terms of the pandemic. But totally, totally agree that there's got to be some support filters down money-wise to keep all the leagues. And it's not just the Premier League. It's going to have to happen around the world. Here, here. That's going to continue. Unfortunately, I don't know in the short term that we're going to get the solution that you've both suggested and that we all dream of and see those packed houses and, and the emotion running towards the, you know, the fans at your end. It, it is still a while away. I, I admire the way the players have actually adapted to 
um, the empty stadiums because the football, as we saw on the weekend, I mean, record record goal. So they're providing entertainment for all of us across the planet. But I couldn't agree more with with what you said. So we will wait and see what happens. Um, but you know, I, re- I read this morning that Dover Athletic they they suggest that they're a week or two away from running out of money, and that's only just going to continue continue. So watch this space in in that ongoing conversation. Will the Premier League step up? Uh, let's see. To, uh, to brighter matters, though, because the, the, the beauty is, is even though we want to see fans back as supporters across the planet, we're still being treated. We've still got this amazing outlet of Premier League football and global football going on. And uh, there is so much to get into, starting with just what happened uh, yesterday, the most recent games, where after Liverpool threw down the gauntlet with six points uh, to start the season, Manchester City had been sitting back and watching uh, Thomas, your first impressions of Pep Guardiola's side as uh, they got a, a, a really important win against a tricky opponent in Wolves. Yeah, um, you know, I thought, uh, you know, at least for two, two-thirds of the game, I thought City were, were really good. Um, you know, again, Ake looked solid at the back. Again, similar, similar names, uh, De Bruyne, uh, again, uh, getting a penalty, scoring, uh, setting up the second goal as well. So I thought there was a lot of bright side. And these were the games that they lost last season, obviously losing to, Lo- to Wolves twice. Uh, so it was a big hurdle, I think, uh, starting late. Uh, some of the other teams have had a, had a head start. Pressure is, is you know, on. So, um, you know, it wasn't all pretty. I, I think some of the, you know, the old uh, demons reared its heads in the second half. I think defensively, you look at the goals they concede. Uh, you know, I know it's a... It's a Clever nutmeg uh, across, but they they got eight or nine people in the box, and, and Jimenez still gets a header. Um, so you know, again, I, I still see them having to sign a, a center half. Uh, you know, Stones. You know, he needs match match practice, and, and again, Ake came in. Um, you know, and, and played his first game. So so there's room for improvement, but again, uh, you know, they need Laporte back. Uh, and then potentially, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been sort of campaigning for them or for any team to sign Koulibaly. I think, you know, he would make <laughs> such a difference to, to any team. And, uh, and I think we saw that in the last game. They hang on and, and obviously got the deflection late on. But, uh, you know, a good win for them overall. Good start. He's already in the transfer market at Ransom at the moment, Koulibaly. If this goes down to October 4 and he's still at Napoli, they'll get whatever, whatever they want for him at this point. Um, Bridget, you now, a couple of weeks ago, um, when we did our season predictions, you, you, you just had a feeling that this would be City's season. Uh, but Liverpool have obviously made a pretty good statement of intent early doors. Did you see enough uh, from City to, to think that they can build into this campaign and, and reproduce some of their best? Yes, because they're managed by Pep Guardiola, Dave, and they've got some of the finest players in the world. And Kevin De Bruyne, yet again, gets on the score sheet. He's, he's at the heart of everything that they do. But I did actually retract that statement last week when I realised that Liverpool had signed Thiago Alcantara and the performance he put in against Chelsea was absolutely magnificent, mate. And the other player that they got was Jota. So it's going to be a hell of a title race. Both of them are going to push each other all the way. And I don't want to call it because I upset a lot of Liverpool fans. And when I said City would get it, but I really think Liverpool can, can go and do it again after the signings that they've made. Uh, having said that, it was great to see Phil Foden get a start after his England misdemeanours yep. and get on the score sheet and put in a performance because, you know, he's been waiting in the wings since David Silva left and, you know, what a what a, a apprenticeship working under him and he, he mm. came in and did a fantastic job. So it's going to be a great, great 
challenge, but I just felt like Tommy said before, City still look very vulnerable. I think Wolves will be kicking themselves that they didn't take some of their chances in that second half to get back in the game. And it was a late, a late chance from Jesus to, to get them the 3-1 win. Did you think, Thomas, with, with starting Fernandinho and Rodri, um, was that a sign of a little bit of a different approach from Guardiola, a little bit more stable, acknowledging that maybe things were... He acknowledged that there's things that need to work at the back. And uh, also, Ake. First, is Ake-Laporte a combination if Koulibaly doesn't come in? Is Ake someone you see more as a left-back? Uh, what did you make of basically you know, the selections defensively uh, that City had? No, I think he, he realized, and, and like Bridget said, you know, that, that's why you're a, a, one of the best managers in the world. You know, you, you adjust, uh, you know, the strength of, of Wolves, the, the counter-attack, the, the speed. So, so you, you put in a, a box of, of four, uh, you know, two holding midfielders, uh, a little bit more security there. Um, uh, so I, I think it was cleverly done. I think they managed uh, Wolves... Uh, for two thirds of the game before they had four or five massive chances. Um, so, so, you know, going forward, uh, you know, Ake, he plays left back uh, for Holland. Um, so, so he's well accomplished there. I, I could see him play left back if, if they get a centre half. Um, you know, uh, if, if, if it's uh, Laporte uh, and jo- just, uh, sorry, John Stone. Uh, Stones, uh, I'd rather play with Ake. So I think it depends on if they get another centre-half in, uh, where he eventually ends up. Um, but, but you know, again, I think it's just clever management. You, you should cure the, the back line and give them a bit of support uh, heading into a difficult game. I'll tell you what I did see differently to when Wolves beat them twice last season and they did the counter-attack and play. You know, I thought that with Mendy, Ake and Walker at the back, they, it just seemed a lot more pace there to, to cover, cover that counter-attack that they had. But still, when you see Fernandinho and Rodri in there, that was that defensive issue that you talked about there, Dave. He just wanted to shut shop uh, and make sure they were defensively um, solid because he didn't want to get beat for the first time in his career by a club three times on the spin. So that was, he's never, it's never been achieved and he, he managed to do it again, did Pep Guardiola. So it was, um, it was good to see and a, a good performance from City setting, you know, answering the critics and the questions that Liverpool threw down. Well, that's right. I mean, you couldn't imagine the, the hysteria. And, and you know what? It's funny. There is hysteria. After one or two games, we, we jumped to so many conclusions. If City had gone uh, naught while um, Liverpool had gone to six points, it would have been it would have been all sorts of problems to start the season. So just what the doctor ordered, and uh, we'll see how that challenge plays out through the season. Hey, yesterday, Thomas, one of your former clubs, Aston Villa, um, got a solid win over Sheffield United, and, and they're starting to make a few decent waves in the recruitment market as well. Um, what do you make of uh, their start and their, their, their preparation off the park as well going into the season? No, I think it's encouraging. Uh, obviously, they just uh, managed to, to stay... Uh, you know, above water last year, and, and they made some good signings, uh, positive. I think Grealish extending him, um, you know, was hugely important. You know, it, it you know it makes it easier in the transfer market as well. When when you see a club retaining the, their best players, you know, I think Ming signed a, a new four-year deal uh, yesterday, uh, and then bringing in Ollie Watkins. Obviously, he's a little bit unknown coming from a, from the championship, but I think he he played really well. Uh, was was in and about most most chances, uh, very lively. Could have scored uh, himself. Um, uh, Matty Cash provided uh, you know some good crosses, and then Martinez, you know, oh, stepping up. Oh, here we go. The goalkeeper's <laughs> been insane. Yeah, of course. Know, again, last. Here we go. You know, 
yeah, no, I, I, you know, I thought he, he, you know, he was secure. You can see he's got personality. You know, he, you know, the performances he delivered for Arsenal last year, you know, and then stepping up and obviously making a, a crucial penalty save uh, at nil-nil. Um, you know, that was that was massive, uh, huge for for him, huge for the club uh, to get that first win. Uh, and just touching on it, like we talked about, I think on Sunday, Bridget, with David De Gea. If you, know, if you look at Martinez save, he actually, he's, he's in front of the line. He steps in front of the line. And, and this is what we're talking about. So what's, what's the difference from De Gea, who actually ne- he barely left the line, and then Martinez saves, and he's got, his foot is like half a yard off the line. So, you know, again, this is just the inconsistencies of, of, of the refereeing. And, and it was never going to be upheld for the season. So... Yeah, uh, I don't know why they have that rule. I was just about to say that, Tommy. We're probably going off track here and going back to bloody VR and referees' decisions. That that penalty save, there was no difference whatsoever. It, I, I see, I felt for you goalkeepers and the new that rule when I saw it because it is. I'm thinking if that is going to stick for the rest of this season, years have got no chance. You might as well just award the award a goal because there's nothing worse than when a goalkeeper approaches and you take two or three steps out of the area and narrow that angle from the penalty and then you dive sideways. But, you know, the little shuffle, I found that so harsh. So again, mm. Martinez, he does exactly the same and it was given. So I really fell for De Gea a few weeks back. Um, it, it was just a shambles. There's no consistency whatsoever. It's like how, how strong the, the VAR's glasses are. Like, are they going to pick out a millimetre here or a millimetre there? They've just got to, if it's going to be a hard and fast rule, it's actually got to be the easiest rule in the book. If he's off the line, he, as much as we disagree with it, once they've given it to the Gaia, they've got to punish everyone or the other way around. So uh, we'll do our head in. So let's not, uh, we've got too much <laughs> stuff to talk about. So let's not do it. Let's not come out. <laughs> I reckon after that decision, after they'd all reviewed it and the referees association got together, I reckon they would have said, you know what it is? This is really, you're taking it a little bit too far. And I'm not going to say you're taking it one step too far because that's exactly what he did do in the penalty spot. But, you know, I think they've all got together and said, let's get real. That was pretty embarrassing. So I think we'll see it for the remainder of the season. Unless it's really obvious, they're going to they're gonna let it go because it was it was farcical. And I think they've... It, who was the referee at the time on that game? Mike Dean? Oh, I don't... I, the Villa game? I don't, I don't remember. No, not the Villa game. The Manchester game. Oh, the, uh, anyway, he, I think he got in a bit of trouble, mate. I'll tell you what, we're, gonna, we're, not, we're not gonna touch on handball. We've, we've, now we've done the goal line, we'll, we'll, oh. we'll see if we can get through, we'll see if we can get through the next half an hour without touching on handball if we can, because as I said, there's too much good stuff to talk about. Hey, I'm gonna throw a, we've got a new little segment here where, um, I'm gonna call it, what say you, where I'm gonna throw a, a quote your way, and I wanna get your, uh, you got the prosecution or the defense, you can choose whichever side you're on, and you can, uh, you can throw your answer back at me. And I'm gonna start with uh, Cesc Fabregas, uh, to you, Thomas who said after the weekend, he said, Sadio Mane is the best player in the Premier League. What say you to that? I would say he's not. Um, I think, uh, you know, he's up there. But uh, to me, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. Um, I think he showed it last year. He showed it from, you know, showed it against Wolves. Um, You know, just being a, uh, you know, he's, he's in and about, obviously, uh, scoring goals. Uh, you know, he's, he's, the amount of assists uh, he supplies. Defensively, um, you know, I think there's, just, you know, Mane, he's a goal scorer. Uh, he's effective he, and he works hard. He probably is a better defensive player than, uh, than uh, Kevin Bruyne is. But I think there's just more to, you know, he has a more of a, an effect. I think Mane... You could put another player in there. If you take De Bruyne out of Manchester City, I think it will leave a bigger, bigger hole. Um, 
So for me, Kevin Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. But Mane's not far off. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Bridgie, um, he certainly set the tone for Liverpool uh, against Chelsea. And that front three, um, three years in now, uh, they're not missing a trick. No, not at all. And yet again, they find a player, you know, that they have managed to find for lesser money that they can sell for multi-millions again. Um, again, Salah in that position as well, what they do. But it, it's like I say, I do believe that City would miss De Bruyne a lot more than, than um, Liverpool would miss Marnie. And again, I think when you've... They, I look down the core of Liverpool as well. Van Dijk, he came in. He's been superb. He's one of the best players in the Premier League defensively. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bold statement by Cesc Fabregas. I'm not going to knock the man and go against him because he is a, a world-class player with a, a trophy cabinet, which anybody would be very, very jealous and admire. <laughs> um, so, if he says Sadio Marnie is, I'll back Cesc Fabregas. Well, I'll tell you what, talking about signings paying off, the next two quotes I've got for you boys are the absolute opposite. So this one's got your name on it again, Thomas, from Jamie Carragher. <laughs> you actually feel a bit sorry for Kepa. No, we don't. You? No, we love seeing this. We love seeing it. <laughs> uh, you, know, you, know, well, you know when people start feeling sorry for you, you know it's, it's really, really bad. Um, and I actually, I had a, obviously Mendy coming in now, uh, you know, I sort of dived in a, a little bit uh, into the stats and, and they're absolutely horrendous. Uh, you know, a save percentage of 55%, uh, which it's not a, you know, it doesn't paint the whole picture, but, but there's a, another stat that is the, uh, the post-shot expected goals uh, marker. And Kepa, um, you know, it sort of looks at, for every shot, it tracks the trajectory, where we shot, actually the difficulty of the shot and what you should be saving. And of all the goals he conceded last year, he should have saved 10 of them. So he conceded 47 and he should have, he should have saved 10 of those goals. Uh, and that is a horrendous statistic. Um, so, so, yeah, you do feel for him, um, potentially in another setting. You know, we saw... You know, Fandasar went to Juventus uh, a fair few years ago, and perhaps you know he he got totally deprived of of uh, confidence. He had a shocker in Juventus, and then he went to Manchester United and and became an absolute legend. So, in a different environment, potentially Kepa can, but at the moment he's got no confidence. Uh, managers lost confidence. It looks like the players have lost confidence, and um, I sadly see. Um, no way back for him, uh, especially with Mendy coming in and and a and a keeper as well, who who's, who comes with great pedigree from from Ren and and is known by Peter Cech, who's brought him in. Um, so I think sadly he will go straight in and he'll be bye bye Kepa. Tommy, I'm a big believer in karma, mate, and I don't feel sorry for him one bit because I remember when he had that little baby tantrum when he spat his dummy out when he didn't want to come off and the manager with sorry. And he was there. League, League Cup final? Or? Mm. Yeah, League Cup final. Giving it the big one, saying I'm staying on and all that. That's karma. Deal with it. The play, I don't even think the players have embraced him ever since that incident either. So, good on him. Good riddance. But the only stat that he has got is um, he's got an assist this season, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> an assist and uh, two errors leading to goals when I think the rest of the Premier League combined, there's just been one. So, it's pretty galling. Thomas, you mentioned, that's really interesting what you said about Van der Sar. So, Chelsea saw something in him and I know they were desperate because they'd lost, um, they lost Courtois a couple of years ago. So they knew they had to find someone quickly. So they, they, they were held at ransom and, and they paid the world record for him. We saw with Loris Karius, he just hasn't been able to bounce back since that, 
that um, that that horrendous spell at Liverpool. Do you think, from what you've seen with Kepa, he's got the personality to do a Van der Sar or the technical ability to do a Van der Sar, or could he follow a, a sort of a, a trajectory where, you know, it might take a fair while for him to bounce back if he does? It's a difficult situation um, to be in. You know, I've, um, you know, you take. I think he's a good goalkeeper. You know, you, you look technically. Uh, even f- physically, um, you know, he's got all the traits. Um, but, um, you know, I know for <laughs> for fact that, that uh, goalkeeping is also, uh, you know, played in your head. Um, you know, the confidence plays a, a huge part. Um, and, and I've been there myself after the World Cup in 2002 where I made a mistake. Uh, and it took a long time. It, you know, I got a bit of help as well from the psychologist, uh, you know, just to, to get past that blockage because it, it, that's what it is. You know, suddenly, instead of seeing an opportunity, uh, you, you start seeing, you know, oh, wish I, you know, if I do this, I might make a mistake. It might cost up. And you start to retract. You, you sort of, you know, you start to going backwards uh, instead of being positive in your movements. Uh, so th- these small things uh, just make that, that you, your balance, uh, you know, everything is, is skewed in, in the wrong direction. and, and um, uh, and, and it's all a mental game now. He needs a support network around him, somebody who, who could uh, pick him up, uh, get that straight. Uh, and then I think he can come back from it. But if he doesn't sort it out and take it seriously, uh, you could see what Carrius uh, is going through. You know, the media it plays a big part. You've got to mm-hmm. separate those things. You know, you've got to be able to just focus on what you're actually doing, your technique, make sure you do it right. And, and whatever everyone else says doesn't really matter. Um, so, so he's got a big, big job on his hands. So, can I ask, like, how, when it does get that low, is it almost like your your mind just almost takes over your technique, your, your footwork, even though you know you've got it all there? What do you do? To, do you go? Do you go have a huge session on the training park? We go see. I made fifty saves, top corner, um, caught all the crosses. I'm ready to go. But then you walk onto the park and you start to see you know, the ball slipped through your hands or something like that. Like, can you talk us through how you actually fight through that blockage? Yeah, I think um, for me personally, um, it was about, you know, actually just boiling it down to, to what it was. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's very easy, especially in this day and age with, with everything that, that is thrown at you and the media and everything else to, to take that into account as well. So, so when you go on the pitch, yeah, you've had a great training session, but then you go on the pitch and what changes is, you know, it, it's, it's adjustment, judgment. In a, on a training park, you, the pressure is not the same. You go on a park, you get judged for everything you do. And that's where the separation needs to come in. You need to be able to, to take the same mentality from the training ground to, to the match uh, and not focus on what everyone else is thinking what you know what everyone else will be doing if you make a mistake uh what, what your teammates will be saying what the, you need to to actually just do your job and, and as easy as it sounds that's the hardest part because you you your thoughts take you in all different other directions and and that's the blockage Bridget, can you smell it when when a goalkeeper has that like people say that Mane might not have pressed as ferociously if it wasn't Kepa as a striker do you sense that vulnerability well, I mean, you, when you're in the divisions where you can watch the games, I mean, back in the day, there's only so many games we could watch. Um, when you're in the, the Premier League, you don't, you've never got to see the lesser divisions. 
And but you knew who was having a shocker. Of course you did. And the managers and the coaching staff, if we knew the goalkeepers were vulnerable or defenders were having a tough time, then they would be the ones that you would target and get at them. And sometimes we would change our whole set play dynamics. Um, if the keeper was having a nightmare, we'd put numbers and bodies in around that goalkeeper and just try and deliver them in on top of them because they were having such a, a tough time to handle crosses or do things like that. So it's definitely an area that you look to analyse and try and capitalise as well because, like Tommy says, when they've got a mental blockage, it's a nightmare. And the same goes for me as a striker. When you're missing goals, like I'd, I'd score goals and you'd, it, they would just come and it just happened. It was, it was a thing. But when you go through a patch of three or four games and you haven't scored, then the demons start to come and you start to doubt yourself. You get the gremlins on your shoulders telling you that you're crap. And the things that become easy for you, then all of a sudden become a total... It becomes like an algorithm to work out how you score that goal. So it's, yeah, it's, it's funny how the mind works. It's a very powerful tool. Interesting stuff. Thanks for your insight, boys. Um, Bridgie, to you, Gary Neville this time. It is negligent for Manchester United not to have that squad in place. What say you? Um, I agree with him. But I think Man United have got to come back to the reality of the club itself in general. Uh, as to who they are and what they are at this moment in time. They are not the powerhouse that they once used to be. They, you know, if, if Manchester United came knocking on your door back in the day when I played against them, the, you know, the, the players would sign left, right and centre. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Nowadays, they, then it's not a luxury now. Um, players can pick and choose. They've missed out on a, a few signings. They've been turned down. I mean, the boy that's just signed for Tottenham, um, the left back, Reggian, who's come in, um, cracking player. You know, United was an opportunity to get him. He's turned them down. He's gone somewhere else, whether that was agents or his proposal, we don't know. But I, I feel that they are playing catch-up. And whether that's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his staff not communicating with the board. And I just still think there's a lot of disconnect behind the scenes there, Dave. And they are, they're playing catch-up. Ole's used the excuse already after day one. Um, so not, it, it's not, not pretty, and I think that is right. Man United are. They're in a horrible position, and that's, that's down at the club as a whole. You, you, you're playing catch-up, and you've only got yourself to blame. So they beat Luton 3-0 in the Carabao Cup this morning, but it was 1-0 in the 81st minute when Dean Henderson, um, making his first start since returning, made a fantastic save at, at 1-0. And then um, the irony is, is Solskjaer had to bring on Green, uh, Greenwood, Rashford and Fernandes, and, and the, the, the Greenwood and Rashford both scored in the 88th and the 92nd minute to seal the tie, which, Thomas, goes back to the same <laughs> thing. It's, it's, it's 38 Premier League rounds and six months more of the same 11 going over and over again, which means they can't at this rate. They'll even struggle to sustain where they finished last year, let alone avoid being caught. Yeah, um, it, it's a tough situation, uh, I think, they're, they're in. Um, you know, again, to their defence, I, th- I think, you know, looking at the, the way uh, the start-up has been, uh, you know, they've had players out, players coming back late, uh, 
you know, still some niggling injuries, um, you know, and then the ongoing Sancho saga. Um, so I, I think that there's obviously things that, you know, they will improve, but, but I think you, you touched on it there. You know, they're starting 11. There will be so much pressure on, on them to, um, you know, to, you know, to, to carry the, the, the flag for the whole season. I don't think they have the squad and the depth that, that um, you know, the, the other top teams have. And, and then defensively, uh, you know, again, you know, I'm not a big believer in Lindelof or, or Maguire. I think there's, uh, you know, there's huge room for improvement. I think they, they definitely need a, a centre-half there. Um, to, they lack uh, pace at to, the back. Mm. Sorry? They lack pace at the back. Yeah, you know, we saw it, uh, you know, we saw it the other day as well. You know, they get hit on the counter. Uh, Saar had an absolute field day uh, against them. And, you know, that's, that's not, you know, that's not a news to anyone. You know, that's been the, the case for, for, for a fair, fair while now. Uh, so, so they've got some issues and, and they need to be sorted out if they're, you know, even top four contenders in my view. Now, that's what's so strange. You just said everyone's been talking about it. It almost feels like we're becoming a broken record and it's almost worth not talking about it because we've been speaking about it for so long. But I'm still suspicious whether they will sign a centre-back or a left-back before the end of the window. Um, particularly the bit of talk around that, they, that the club says that they've got so many on their books, they can't actually go and sign one. So it'll be really interesting to watch. They play Brighton. That's the game that uh, you guys will be across on Saturday night, 9.30pm kickoff. They go to Brighton in this game. And I'll tell you what, if uh, you worry about pace uh, at the back, um, Graham Potter's side, Bridgie, have been fabulous to start the season. Didn't get any reward against Chelsea, but against Newcastle, they certainly did. Yeah, they didn't. You know, Ben White's um, there from, he had a cracking season at Leeds United, getting them promoted. Brighton were not going to let him go. He's, he came in alongside Dunk. They looked tremendous. And, you know, Mapai up front getting the getting the goals as well. Trossard had a cracking game, but one for me, this boy Lamperty. Wow. Mm. Coming in from Chelsea, right, right winger. My word. The only way Newcastle could stop him was was to kick him and try and pull him down and do everything they could. I even saw him getting on the bus and he still had two of the Newcastle defenders hanging off the back of him. That's how that's how much they were worried about him, man. So he he was absolutely outstanding. The style of play as well, that Brighton. Um, I was super, super impressed with them. So, you've, you know, you've got to credit Potter there, the way that the club have changed their total holistic approach since getting rid of Chris Hutton and coming in and they've, they've changed their dynamics and style of play. They've got a manager to fit their new vision and philosophy and style of play, which has been brilliant. And they're going to surprise a lot of people. And I think it's a game Man United will be absolutely messing themselves with. Yeah, the only positive might be that it's so open that some of their speedsters might cash in as well. But... Uh... Uh, it's going to be entertaining. I think I was going to ask a bit later on who was the youngster that impressed you the most this, so far over the first two rounds. It, is Lamptey your, your choice for that, Bridgie? Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I've been super impressed. You're looking there at a player who I believe will be in the England squad, if not towards the end of this season, definitely next season or into the future. They, they, he's, he, you can't have that amount of pace with the ball and without the ball and not be part of the England setup because he is technically gifted. He's a nightmare for defenders. But not only that, I was so impressed with his whole overall game. I didn't actually know what position he was playing um, because he was making defensive challenges in the left side um, centre-half when Newcastle broke counter-attack and he was in the midfield centrally and then he was out wide. Just a class act, mate. Yeah, love, love watching him. I'll tell you what, if you could win a World Cup based on uh, only picking right-backs, England would be very close to winning. Um, 
whether he can get in ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and all the others ahead of him will be another question, but they certainly have their options. All I will say is 66. Thank you. <laughs> 1966. Thank you. Fair play. Walked into it. The Gig and Pod will be back in 20 seconds. Once you're done with this episode, though, take a moment to look up two sharp reds. Socceroos great Mark Schwarzer is joined by Ollie Geel to talk about the lighter side of world football with a real focus on the day-to-day of the Premier League. Two Sharp Reds from Optus Sport, available where you get your podcasts. Now, back to the Gegen Pod. Um, time for finish this sentence. Um, Thomas, I'll come to you first on this. Um, in a cup final, Liverpool's midfield three will be... Poor. Oh. Uh, I was sitting here <laughs> this morning. Uh... Good luck. And, and, and looking at it, and it was like a, a game of uh, musical chairs, uh, you know. I think, you know, obviously he's been given uh, the six. Um, you know, does he take over from, from Fabinho? I think he was, he was brilliant. Uh, he hasn't got the same physicality as, as Fabinho. Uh, and then you, you're looking at, uh, you, know, you know, Henderson. Uh, you know, can you drop Henderson? And then you still need a dynamic player. You still need someone like Guinaldo or Keita, um, you know, to, to, to make those, you know, late runs into the box. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I could potentially see, uh, you know, I would keep Fabinho. Um, I would put Thiago. I think we, he showed his quality against Chelsea. And then uh, I would probably take Guinaldo or Keita, whoever is, is the fittest at the time. Uh, and... and and Henderson being the odd man out, sadly, for Captain Fantastic. Oh, are you kidding wow. me? You're taking out Thomas Sorensen, the excellent player, taking out the excellent academy <laughs> prodigy. Out with the yeah, Liverpool. I know it's hard. I know it's, it's, trophy it's, it's, it's taking uh, over Stephen yeah, Gerrard's reign. Yeah, no, it's a tough, but, but I'm, I'm thinking from a tactical perspective. Uh, if, if you play with those three, Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho, I think you've got too much of... You need someone to, pen- to penetrate. You, you need someone more dynamic. So it's, it's purely tactical, Bridgie. Uh, you know, and that's what Okay, I'm Jose. Okay, that, Jose. You're going to leave him with Dilly Alley in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's, it's too tough a decision, but I'll tell you what, as a, as a, as a coach, what a, what a joy to have. Because it's not, about the, it's not about the three, the best three that start. What, what it is, yeah. it's given Liverpool the squad and depth to make them compete now, once again, for the Premier League and for the Champions League. Because... The rotations and the numbers that they have in that midfield now, it, it, it's balanced out. So it's, I think it's ideal and great business. Yeah, so many options. So many options indeed. And, and, and made us all, played us all. We talk about United and, and their signings. In the meantime, he's gone and signed Thiago, probably knowing there was an eye on Fabinho being able to deputise at centre-back. Um, do you think that's a, that's a makeshift option? Um, he certainly had Timo Werner under control on the weekend. Do you still go with a Gomez or a Matip? when they're available or has Fabinho opened up an opportunity now to actually get them all into the 11? Well, I think you go with Gomez without a shadow of a doubt. He's, he's got the pace. He's got a great understanding. If he's fit, Matip again is, is, it can come in there. Um, hasn't quite got the pace of Gomez, but reads the play very well. Um, but I thought Fabinho was, was a lot better on the ball for them to start the, the build-ups and the play and just giving it into that midfield role. I felt that him and Van Dijk, so if it was if it was me, Gomez would be in there and then probably Fabinho and then Matip. That would be the selective mm-hmm. in that position for me. Interesting stuff. Hey, um, same game. We didn't see much of Kai Havertz. So I'm going to ask you, Bridgie, Kai Havertz's best position should be 
at this moment in time, Dave, on the bench, sadly. Um, he hasn't really oh. adapted, unfortunately. I think it's just been a... a li- I don't know what's, what's happened. He, he's a fantastic player, no doubt about it. Um, but he just hasn't hit the ground running, you know. And um, I remember when Pulisic came in, it took him a little bit of a while to, to hit the ground running. He came back from COVID and he was a completely different player. So, again, I don't think we have seen the best of him. Um, and it, it's tough, you know. They're coming into a team that has got a lot of new players in there. He's trying to build a relationship and a bond with uh, Werner up front, who, again, is an absolute class player. You've got Mount, who's trying to take on his, his form from last season. So, I think they're still a little bit disjointed in that position. Um, but, but for me, I think when, when Zayek is fit, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. I think he'll, he'll fit in a lot easier than um, Averts has, to be fair, mate. So sorry for the Chelsea fans, but I just think he needs a little bit more time to, um, to, to bed in. Well, no, we certainly haven't seen the best of him. There's, there's no doubt about that. Chelsea go to West Brom Sunday morning, 2.30 a.m. Eastern, Thomas. Is it almost impossible to judge Chelsea until um, you see the likes of Chilwell Silva, uh, even as Villaqueta coming in, Mendy, uh, Pulisic, Zayic. Um, is it almost that you can't actually read into what Chelsea are doing right now because they're almost waiting? Yeah, I think that'll be, be fair. But on the other hand, um, you know, how, how long uh, <laughs> can you wait? Uh, you know, uh, ultimately, there's not really any excuses, you know, because I don't think any teams, um, you know, would go for a season where, you know, you, you have your... 25 uh, best players fit at all times. You know, there, there, there's injuries. Uh, but again, early in the season, uh, and, you know, I think Thiago Silva is, is, is huge, you know, with his experience to, to get him into the team. Um, and Sijek, as, as Bridgie said, I think he'll be exciting. Uh, so there'll be competition, uh, you know, when Pulisic is fit as well. I think, you know, that's why Havertz, you know, he needs to, he needs to get going. Um, you know, you, you, you can't have 10 games... Um, you know, without performing. Uh, so, so, you know, he, he'll know he'll have to improve quickly because uh, the amount of talent that they have and the amount of options is, is uh, fantastic in the attacking third. And, and um, yeah, so you need to hit the ground running, really, uh, to secure your place. Dave, you know what I'm really looking forward to for Chelsea? Go on. <laughs> West Brom get three points this weekend. <laughs> it'll, it'll be 9-8 this game and Slavon Bilic will get sent home uh, again blowing up at, at yeah, something. Will. will he be doing his team talk because obviously he's got the red card he might not be allowed in the, the dressing room. Will he be doing a, a Mr. Neil Warnock from a Zoom in the stand or something down in the dressing room because I think Warnock had the COVID. Um, he had to do his team talk for Middlesbrough from the dressing room. Uh, sorry, from a Zoom into the dressing room. So, Billich won't be there due to the, the red card. But um, it's going to be an interesting game, put it that way. That was us watching a train wreck on Saturday night. Just He just walked into that trap and just it was just rolling and rolling. He's like, Slavin, no, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I thought it was a very harsh dismissal. He was only asking the question as to why. So, never, never mind. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, in a word, Havertz, a 10, a 9, a false 9, an 8, both of you, where, where should he play? I can't answer that question, Dave, because I haven't seen him enough. I've got to be honest with you. I've seen a few of his goals that he scored in over there in the Bundesliga. I've seen him. He just hasn't bedded in. I, th- I can't answer. I would say left side, um, Owen as the ten. He didn't didn't look too too classic up top. I'm not I'm not too sure. I mean, I'll, I'll leave that one to Tommy if he's got leave a better that one to Frank. Uh, Thomas. Yeah, again, I, I think uh, you know it's still up for grabs, and I think you know he, he could play, but you know he could play on, on the on the wing. But 
you know, he had more success centrally um, for, for Leverkusen. So, so I think that's where he probably um, will end up. Um, but it all depends on what their dynamics is when, when everyone is fit. You know, whoever, you know, if he tries different formations and, and people work out, you know, that, that, that pushes uh, habits into uh, another area. And, and uh, so he needs to be, you know, you know, he needs to take, that's why these opportunities that, that he has now in different positions, you know, he needs to grab one of them and, and uh, make it his own because there'll be other people, you know, dying to get a chance and, and, mm. and take that. So, um, so I think it's, it's up for grabs where, where he's at, at his best. Jury's half instead of Christensen, Dave, because that was another classic, um, classic performance by the Chelsea defence. I'm right on top of you today, aren't I? I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm, again, watching Kepa come out and then Christensen just go and, and, and give him a cuddle. Yeah. Uh, you knew the game was over as soon as that happened. And unfortunately, that red card was pretty hard to argue with once you saw him trot over to the sideline to have a look at, uh, have a look at the cameras. Um, Bridgie? Barcelona selling Luis Suarez to Atletico Madrid. Something different yeah. to talk about now. That is... That what? is. That is um, great business by Atletico Madrid. Um, I mean, Suarez is a great, great, great goal scorer. He's a, he's a cracking player. I think, he's, I think Barcelona might have seen the best of him at their time there. I think there's been too much... He's had a lot of injuries over the last few years as well. Hasn't really been as much of an impact as, as he should have done. So I think it's a fresh start for both the club and for the player. And I, I think he he will excel. Uh, I think Simeone will give him a bit more of a, a kick up the backside, shall we say. I think it's been a bit of a, an easy ride at Barcelona, um, by all accounts. Every player seems to say, taken, there's been no accountability. It's been a, a leisure. It's been a freedom. And, you know, I think I saw that from reading Koeman. He's gone back to longer training sessions. If they are late, they're not playing basketball before training and things like that. He's really come and put the gauntlet down and changed a lot of the, the in-house rules. So I think it'll be freshening up. So a great move for Atletico and a great move for Suarez because there's nothing better than seeing a, a Suarez in, in full flow scoring goals at will. But that's, I guess, the point, Thomas. Four million euro for Barcelona for a player they paid 74 million for to arguably one of the other two teams that can potentially win La Liga. That's that's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and and I, the, the latest news I heard this morning is that Barcelona is actually sort of retreating a little bit and trying to, to block this move. And uh, Soares is contemplating coming out and doing a press conference, uh, mm. slagging off the Barcelona chairman. So, so there's things. Go- I don't think we've seen the, the last thing of this. Uh, I'm right in thinking that Vidal has just left Barca for a million million pound or something and gone into Milan into Milan yeah. for a million pound it, 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 they just seem to be slashing the wage bill and getting getting rid of the dead wood at any cost yeah but also I think to me it's a culture change um, yeah. you know again you, you, you're getting yeah Suarez has been there five six years uh, Vidal uh, you know you can just see the big personalities and I think Koeman just wants a, a clean slate they've obviously decided to keep Messi um, you know, as the, the long figure and then everyone else is, is going. Um, and I think, obviously, they wanted to sell Soares to, to, to Juventus and, and then he went and, and faked his, his, his citizen <laughs> test. It's great. You know, it sums him up, really. You know, it sums him up uh, with all the, the things that's happened around him over the years. Uh, you know, uh, and I think that, that, that screwed it up for Barcelona because they would have loved to have seen him at Juventus out of the league. 
How good is how, how classic is that? He, being investigated. I, and I, don't, I don't know if he's being investigated or somewhere around, but he apparently knew all the questions to the Italian exam before he went in to try get uh, an application to go into Italy. So, so good fun there. Um, this has got your name on it, Bridgie. Delhi Ali's future at Spurs is in massive doubt and yeah it's it's not looking good for Deli Ali because they I'm a big fan of his under Mourinho initially when Mourinho took charge he was he was at the you know the forefront of what he was trying to do a little bit more direct into Harry Kane Deli Ali making runs in behind once again he, he kind of lost his way under Pochettino a little bit because of the intricate style of play that he'd, he'd brought in towards the the back end and Deli Alli was gone he, he hit the scene again with Mourinho but not to be involved um, against Southampton and not on the bench and seeing obviously the new signing Gareth Bale come in as well it just doesn't look too good for Deli Ali's future because you got Lamella was in there, you got Sissoko, um, La Celso, um, Bergvan. So that midfield now is, is full. You've got Son who got four goals, Harry Kane, Lucas Moore. I just I fear for his future, and I think he will be gone if they can do it um, in before the January January. I keep calling it January window before the transfer window um, ends. I think Delhi will be gone, and if he. If he has a long, hard look at himself, it could be a good fresh start for him as well because he's, his England career has suffered from it as well. Um, and it's only going to get worse because he won't be getting game time. Because it's also a bit of a formation thing. It's personality, clearly. I and mean, we've seen a bit of an insight on that in the documentary on Amazon as well. But if, uh, if Mourinho is looking to move towards, well, away from the 4-2-3-1, basically, Thomas, um, that special alley position's not there anymore, is it? No, and, and that's where, you know, you, you, know you, you can't see him as a central midfielder, really. He's not a winger. So, so he is that in-behind, uh, you know, late runs into the box. And he actually had a bit of success when Mourinho took over the first couple of games, if you remember. He, you know, he scored a couple of goals and everyone was, was sort of saying, even Mourinho was saying, you know, he gave him, there was a, you know, he threw down a challenge to him and said, like, uh, which Deli Alley do we see? Is the old one or the new one? Uh, uh, and he had a bit of a, a sort of a, a couple of games where he sort of shone a bit, but ever since then uh, he's just out of favour. And uh, and if they do change formation, he's absolutely got no future there. I think mm. he he has to play, you know, in that sort of attacking midfield role. So Bridgie Spurs host Newcastle Sunday 11 p.m. Great time slot for a game that uh, is pretty close to your heart actually. But geez, that second half changes the storyline for Mourinho because. Tottenham are pretty rank in that first half before Son, the Son and, and Kane show. So I just want to ask you now, you've seen a couple of weeks of, uh, of the new season, the hype of the bow train coming in. Um, is that second half a turning point to try almost pave the way, create momentum for, for Bow's arrival? Or, or, or are you still unconvinced with Southampton, a generous opponent at the perfect time for Spurs? Well, I've got to say the first half again against Southampton for Spurs was absolutely diabolical. I'm just thinking this is... You know, it was keep ball for them, um, which we knew it was going to be. It's two different styles. It was counter-attack versus possession based under Hasselhutl. And it was how Tottenham were going to break them down. And they couldn't. And thankfully, there's no better time to score than before half-time. Because the whole team talk goes in. And that's what Son did. He gave, gave um, Spurs. Mourinho was sitting on the bench. He looked like he was going to send a rocket through the dressing room um, and just abuse every one of them players. He was an angry man. He didn't even celebrate the goal when Son got it just before half-time. 
So he goes in there with a little bit fresh and then straight after half time, there's another goal. That just seemed to galvanise and give the players the belief that they can go. And the Harry Kane and Son show was magnificent. Kane, Kane's um, assists were superb. Again, still worried because the, the defensive line wasn't, wasn't too good, but Newcastle getting beat off Brighton. Um, it, it's not like Spurs are going to play like Brighton. I don't think they've got as many dynamics and as in, in play that style like Spurs used to be with Pochettino. So it's going to be a different a different game going up against Newcastle United. They've won one, lost one. So um, I was much, much happier with Spurs' second-half performance um, because two players turned it on. Um, I'm still worried about the whole dynamics and the lethargic look of some of the other players. It's almost like the, the individual quality will have to bail them out, so to speak, bail them out literally uh, through the season. Um, it's going to be that reactive style of play, but now with big, big, big personalities up front who can almost carry, carry the can all the way through. So that's an interesting game on Sunday night. I'll re- run through all the games coming up this weekend. As we've talked about Brighton and Manchester United, which kicks it all off. Two teams in very buoyant mood at midnight. Crystal Palace hosting Everton. Uh, we've mentioned West Brom hosting Chelsea and uh, Burnley hosting Southampton rounds out the night. A word on Crystal Palace and Everton, Thomas. Two teams with very, very, very different approaches, but in a very good space at the moment. Yeah, optimism. Um, I think that's that's the key word for, for both of them. Uh, again, uh, struggled uh, last season. Uh, but I thought, you know, Crystal Palace were magnificent at Old Trafford. Uh, uh, you know, again, they you know, they beat a Southampton side in the first game, which we've probably seen now are not up to the races yet. Uh, I think Hasselhudl is, is struggling to, to find the same form. So, but going to United and winning 3-1 is, is you know, that's a stamp of, of uh, quality. And, and Everton, you know, I think they've made some really good signings. Uh, Pramis, I think he's already shown after a couple of games uh, that, that, that he can be instrumental and uh, you know they're scoring goals, uh, young players scoring uh, you know, at the top of the, the scoring charts. So I think overall, I think it's going to be an exciting game. Um, I think Crystal Palace obviously will try to hit Everton on the, on the counter, and and then uh, you know can Everton produce you know some magic? I think that that'll, that'll be a good game to watch. Mm, really interesting, Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, with hat trick and and looks like a, the real deal up front for them. Now nine pm, Bridgie, I know where you'll be watching Sheffield United hosting Leeds United, and uh, after the historic win on the weekend, a bit of signing news today to continue that momentum that, that's been created at the start of the season. Yes, a centre half coming in um, for Leeds United, which is great. I said they struggled about Ben White. Um, when they lost him and had him for last last season. So the player that coming in is Llorente, the centre-half. Um, I think he has, he's the ex-Real Madrid player, Dave. And he has been playing at... Um, where's he coming in from again? Sociedad. Sociedad, thank you. I was going to say Sevilla there. He's coming in from Sociedad, cracking player, centre-half. It's the only position I've really thought that Leeds haven't looked as good as they did last season. Um, they've conceded seven goals already. And it was because Liam Cooper was out in the first game. Captain Marvel, he had a disjointed makeshift defence there. The boy Cock has come in and hasn't got that understanding Mm. as yet. He's given away a couple of penalties and it hasn't been that relationship that Cooper's been used to. So this is this is for me is a great sign. You've got the experience, you've got the quality in Bielsa. And um, yet again, Victor Otter Otter, um, knows 
what they want and they've got a cracking player there. So that's huge. So going at this Yorkshire derby against Sheffield United, it's not going to have that atmosphere that is going to be hostile at Bramall Lane. So it favours the entertainers going to this one and I'm going to say Leeds will get the away win and we'll get it convincingly. Interesting. So yeah, five-time Spanish international. So uh, another interesting bit of recruitment. How long will it take for him to settle in? We'll see. But it just adds that squad depth that, that Leeds need to make sure they don't run out of gas at the, at the back end of the season. Uh, we mentioned Spurs-Newcastle, 11pm. Manchester City-Leicester. Uh, Leicester have picked up where they well, didn't leave off last season, Thomas. Um, 1.30am uh, Monday morning, Manchester City versus Leicester. Uh, one thing you know about this game is it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Again, and I think there's still question marks about about Leicester. You know, you, you, they played West Brom and, and Burnley, so uh, you know, not the, the biggest tests in the in the league. Um, but again, they, they'll ask questions of of the Man City back line. You know, you know, again, it, it'll be a similar game as the the Wolves game that City just had. Um, you know, Ibadi, a huge test, running behind. If they don't get that sorted out, Leicester will create chances. I still think City are, are too good. I, I think defensively, Leicester, you know, is Morgan, is he, is he back? Uh, you know, can they uh, produce a solid defensive performance? I've got my doubts. So, you know, I, I think Man City will win this one, but, but Leicester will definitely score. Yeah, we'll be thrilled a minute, that's for sure. Round rounds out, West Ham against Wolves Monday morning, 4am. Fulham against Aston Villa Tuesday, 3am. And then Liverpool versus Arsenal, 5.15am on Tuesday. But we've got plenty of time to get stuck into that. There'll be all the coverage over the weekend on Off to Sport. Countdown to kick off Sunday football. Two Sharp Reds with Ollie Gill and Mark Schwarzer. Another podcast you can listen to on your commute on Tuesday morning Not as, as well. Pod, obviously. Sorry? Not as good as the Gagan Pod. It's probably the second best um, Gagan Pod out there, up there, or podcast at the moment out there. But the Gagan Pod is number one. Here, here, Bridgie. Can't disagree with you at all with that. <laughs> well, not, no way I will disagree with you at all on that. So a hell of a lot to look forward to uh, over the rest of the weekend. Gents, time has got the better of us, but talked about so much over the last uh, little bit. Thanks so much for, for joining us, Bridgie and Thomas. An absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Mr. Wiener. Tommy, stay safe down there in Victoria and everybody that is listening. Stay safe, enjoy your football and, um, you know, get through this together. Exactly. So everyone out there as ever, well, more than ever now, until the next gag and pod, enjoy your football. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.